You are listening to the Sickles and Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by RCF and Out and Heath. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product to create unique experiences for venues around the globe. RCF's Ara Pro Series Professional Active Studio Monitors are optimized for near-field studio applications, broadcast, and desktop use. Whether you're in a small studio using a mobile system or hotel room desk, you have a powerful system to accurately mix with uncolored audio reproduction. Learn more at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. A math problem. If Bob has 12 pounds of taco meat to serve a crew of 10, which contains two vegetarians and only three dozen corn tortillas and five tomatoes, can I get more bass in my monitor? I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Kyle, put something else in your mouth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the sheer lack of context for that statement. Is. Chubby bunny. <laughs> it's going. Oh. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Hi, the Michael. Signal to Noise podcast. Hello, Kyle. Hi. I'm, I'm so happy to be greeted by you. How are you? I'm excited to see you guys. I really am. Yeah, I was just, we were just saying, uh, like, literally one week from right now, as we're recording this, I will be getting off a plane in Nashville to go set up for our 200th thing. I guess that's when y'all are going to hear, the people are going to, actually, this is going to come out, right? You said the day this, of the This thing, will so. technically come out the day that we're doing our 200th. Yeah, so little, if you're listening to this yeah. and you're in Nashville, fucking come over to the Hard Rock Cafe at 5 p.m. and come see us. And if you're not in Nashville... Get to Nashville and come over to the Hard Rock Cafe and see us. <laughs> Time uh, tell your friends. Someone tell Mark uh, Rubel to come down. Yeah, the Blackbird Kids. So fun. Uh, I was speaking with Wayne Pauley on the phone today, and there's a, a long list of people who are going to come and and uh, be there. So don't miss it. It's going to be a great opportunity. Um, we definitely want to say a big thank you to both uh, Alan and Heath and RCF for supporting the event. They're both going to be there. Awesome. Um, they're going to have a little table so you can talk to them and shake some hands and see what they're up to so um and boy i was texting with mike green and so excited to hear him play it's always such a pleasure he's just fantastic talent so very exciting i'm sure you'll be hearing all about it in the weeks to come um let's see so kyle hello you've said hello chris leonard hello what's up Hi, come chris. to nam come to nam april 13 14 15 oh, i yeah. will be there in the allen and heath booth come say hi cool hi sam and samuel what's up? Samuel. come to nashville <laughs> but hurry all up. right yes so let's see let me get uh the resume going here our guest this week is my buddy bobby brickman who is yeah. uh, a, a member of the the bearded audio engineers brigade very handsome son <laughs> of a bitch uh bobby was bobby was our assistant engineer at our stage on coachella this summer when denny and i were out just melting in the in the heat uh, with the Danny Elfman show. And uh, we had a great time and uh, had a lot of good conversation. And so um, really happy to have, have uh, 
Bobby on the show. We've got he's got a, a lengthy resume, but I'm just gonna sprinkle a couple names in there. He did Vince Neal, he did Adam Sandler, Zach Brown Band, Imagine Dragons, Jim Belushi, uh, Miguel Nora Jones, Five Seconds of Summer. Um, oh, shit. He he does it all, man. He's a PA tech, he's assistant engineer, he's a crew chief, he is a delay tech, he is a front of house mixer, and uh Bobby, welcome to the show, dude. So good, glad to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You're in <laughs> Vegas, right? I am, yep. And uh, we were we were hanging out at the uh, at the Meyer when we went. I went to do the Panther demo out there. You were there too, if I remember properly. Yeah, I made it back for the second day of that. There you go. Yep. <laughs> cool, buddy. What are you up to now? Um, right now, relaxing at home, <laughs> painting. That's awesome. Relaxing. Like painting is walls good. or like like You're art right painting? No, painting walls. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. Um, Right before Coachella, my wife and I bought a house, and there's just been a laundry list of shit to do. Congratulations, man. Never heard that story before. Congrats. <laughs> the laundry list. So I have a question right off the bat. Was the Danny Elfman thing like a pinnacle just to sit back and watch for your career? Was that cool to be a part of that thing? Because I didn't get to see it, and it just seems like one of those shows that I would just almost have to be at to know what it's really about i mean that was like the coolest thing i've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) first off i'm a huge danny offman fan so like when i found out he was gonna be at the stage i was like awesome (laughs) and then um you know working with michael and denny and then watching the visuals and the lighting all come together and just the crowd response to it was really it was the highlight of Coachella for me. Had to be just like pinnacle event of 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 the career. I couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine when when Michael said that he was going over to do that. It was like no way. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like he doesn't perform live really ever. No, ever. And the fact that you know he's doing this, he's doing his hits, he's doing his old stuff with from Wango Blango. He's got an amazing band together and then he's doing some of his newer stuff. It's eclectic, but mesmerizing at the same point. Do you, you think also, some of the crowd the didn't get oh, it? Sorry. Sorry, Kyle. Oh, that's okay. Do you think some of the crowd didn't get it? Because the Coachella crowd is such a weird over everything crowd. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, some people, I think, really did get it because they're just like freaking out at all the visuals, you know, any of the movie hits that are playing, especially um, Edward Scissorhands or Pee Wee Herb. Right. Um, and then there are other people who are just camped out on the ground, you know, just having fun and relaxing, enjoying And maybe they're not super knowledgeable or into it, but they're really enjoying it still. You know what was cool about that is there were there were people like there was a there was an Elfman crowd that came in. And like position themselves to see it, but there were also people who were just there for the thing that was before, the thing that was after, you know. And it gets pretty packed at, at towards the end of the night. But it was really cool to see when there was something super iconic, you know, Simpsons or or Alice in Wonderland or Batman, and there would people go like, "Oh yeah, this one," because it was, the, you know, it was sort of. I, I I'm reticent to use the phrase "bangers" of the of the the cinematic <laughs> world, but there are a lot of fucking monster monster pieces in there you know and it's really cool to see people go like oh yeah i know that you know yeah i mean my uh my wife was at coachella that day for 
uh, she was with Duke Dumont over at the Sahara tent and the crew came over and caught the first half of the show. And they're like, okay, we're going to head over to Sahara cause we got to go do load it and get a lay of the land. And she texts me like 30 minutes later. She's like, well, we'd walk, you know, 20 feet and then something else would come on and we'd stop and turn around and watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, um, and we, we had talked about this, a couple months ago, we did an episode on on sort of my experiences out there. But you had to balance us asking you for shit with all the other acts asking you for shit. Can you talk about balancing? You know, when you've got you had a lot of big names, man. You had a lot of big artists on your stage. Can you? How do you approach balancing that and trying to keep everybody happy and also looking out for your own your own crew and everything? Where do I begin with that? Um. <laughs> I like this story. It's really easy to show up with, with one artist. You go and you're like, I yeah. know what I got to worry about. You know what I mean? But you've got you've got twelve. I think you had like like twelve or or eighteen acts over two or three. I mean, you had a lot of stuff going on on the stage, man. Yeah, no, it's a lot. Um, fortunately, there's only like, I guess what you'd call two or three headliners a day, um, in terms of length of show and what they're what the, what they're getting. Um, in terms of time on the PA versus some of the other acts, which are doing like maybe 25 minutes. So uh, there's a lot of diplomacy involved. <laughs> uh, you know, that being an L acoustics rig, my goal was in the design portion to really just shoot for the kind of L acoustics target curve, the sonic signature that everybody, you know, is expecting out of that PA and then take it from there. Um, you know, tame down harshness to fix any weird things that are going on that are just summations or just you can't fix the uh the swinging delays and the <laughs> pretty Leslie. <laughs> 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 was there, there was there some wind man, yeah. audio. There was there was wind happening. That's true. Uh, was it was there a point where you got it like where you wanted it to be and nobody really asked for much. Um, let's, when, let's see. Uh, I had a good baseline by the time that Denny and Michael showed up, we had had some issues, which lesson to everybody. It's always a headache on giant festivals like this, where you're subreading so much gear and you're getting stuff from so many different vendors and everybody has their own interface system and cable package that they like to use and trying to make it all work can be a joyous, joyous headache in 105 <laughs> degree heat. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it was hot. It was very hot, very windy. It was very hot. Oh. So um, when Michael and Denny showed up, um, I had a rough, I'd roughed it in, but it definitely wasn't where I'd be like, okay, let's, uh, I can hand this over to you confidently say, you know, it's really, really good. You know, prediction software only gets you so far. Is it intimidating handing over a PA to Denny and Michael? Well, I knew Denny Mike, before. Mike, Coach Michael's, not, Michael's not going to say it. So I'm going to say it. Like, that's got to be, you know, some of the top SCs and the, you know, most respected SCs in, in our industry. To I mean, I don't know. I'd be intimidated. Look, Bobby's <laughs> probably got, like, was way more chill than I do. However, that being said, hell yeah. 
As someone who's had to do it, both of them, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nerve wracking anytime, you know, you're working with anybody. It doesn't matter if, it, sure. at least for me, it doesn't matter if it's Denny, Michael, or if it's, you know, some guy who's, it's his first tour. You want to make everybody happy. Sure. You don't want to be like, hey, I got this thing and sorry, it's actually a piece of shit because I didn't do my job right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but knowing Denny from uh, the Miguel tour and having a personal relationship with him, I, I was definitely more at ease. Michael, I was the one, more nervous one about because, you know, yes. fucking Michael Lawrence. <laughs> like this can go one of two ways. He's, it's either going to go really well and it's going to be a good process or I'm just going to get my ass handed to me and question why I'm still doing this. Oh, Didn't God. you read chapter six of the book? <laughs> Damn it. Gosh. Let's move, it's, on. It's my book. Let's move on to another topic. <laughs> no, no, hold on. It's a good point though, because right. Something I have noticed and Bobby, you probably have way more experience with this than I do, but just saying the people that are really good at what they do are often some of the nicest, most understanding people. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, Definitely. Like most of the time I have not handed a PA to somebody and they'll be like, okay, I'll change these couple of things or if that or whatever, but it's not, I've yet to have somebody who is of a Michael or Denny caliber, like just chew me out for no reason. Right. It's like, just no not appropriate. Or bad it's it just not fucking appropriate. You don't show it's, up and it's smoke and yell at somebody. It's not appropriate. Right. Even if it's fucked up, which I, you know, I have walked into fucked up stuff. Bobby's system wasn't fucked up. And I, I appreciate that, Bobby. You did it. <laughs> we, you know, we, we actually, we, you know, we went through it together and we talked about things together and we made decisions together. And I enjoyed that process, but I have walked into fucked up situations, but it does. I mean, you still don't, it's, it's never that, that is a personal failing. If you need to chew somebody out to get, you know, if I need to lose my temper and I need to be unprofessional, I need to talk down to you. Or I need to be insulting. That's my fuck up, not yours. Um, sure. So yeah. I, 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 you know, and again, full realization that he's got other acts and I'm there to get what I deem is best for my act. But he's got, you know, he's not there to just babysit us. You know, he's got other sure. shit he's got to deal with. And so it's, it's, you know, you go in with. You know, I've talked about this before. I've got a list of priorities. And another thing, the thing that's most important for us, for our act, is this. And then if I get two things, I want to do this and this. But we didn't really have that situation. I and mean, Bobby can, you know, speak for himself. But I, we kind of went in the same direction with a lot of stuff. And, and we kind of ended up, you know, in a place that I, we weren't, we weren't like um, doing that filter bargaining. <laughs> thing. We, were, we were working on it together. You know, I, I, I had a good time with it. Yeah, there's none of the, uh, can I get two dB less of this? Well, I'll give you one. I tell you what, on exists, a, on a, man. Oh, that's man. a real fucking thing. Uh, so often. On, on a festival like that, the way to get in the good graces right away, if you don't know who you're walking up to, is to bring them food. Because yes. um, 95% of the time, <laughs> you're going to turn around and the SE or people that are working that stage are not even going to be able to get to their styrofoam thing that somebody dropped off two hours ago. So, like, being able to comfort them in a way that you could do it and those are things that you can't teach you know and and i've had you just did that actually oh yeah i don't know yeah we did we did frozen lemonade <laughs> yeah. bobby and i had frozen it's, lemonade that's yeah man banging. yeah it was perfect for that you know win, win. 100 degree plus weather win-win really oh, that's, that's true because like, at coachella like the only time i ever set foot in catering once we were up and running breakfast the rest of the time I'm at the stage and I'm, somebody's bringing me food. Yep. So, you know, by it's, it's a 30 minute walk. 
It, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a hike. So bring them a funnel cake. I always say bring them a funnel cake. Walking taco, <laughs> possibly. So, hey. oh, go ahead, Sam. Sorry. No, good. I'm with Kyle. I'm on any form of beverage. That feels like the yeah. move. Oh, there was a, we had a, we, luckily we had like a, a vat of water bottles that we were just consuming. But I, I what, yeah. what I wanted to ask you about, Bobby, is, you know, in the, on the one hand, you've got multiple acts who are all asking you for shit and you got to balance that. You are also part of a, working with a production company that's handling a bunch of stages and yes. is dealing with a bunch of stuff. So you, on the other hand, have to, you're kind of getting it from both sides. I mean, you've got to balance advocating what you need, your stage and your crew and your gear against all the other stages. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, again, it's, you're, you're walking that tightrope because, you know, you'll get somebody from way up uh, somewhere that's coming down being like, Hey, uh, we want you to change something because it's affecting the stage over here. And sometimes it's like, yeah, depending on how outlandish the request can be, it's like, yeah, I can, I can do some stuff to work with that. I can maybe turn the delay rings down a little bit because it's definitely not the main PA. That stage is 600 feet away. There's no way it's coming from the mains, even though you keep telling me it's coming from the mains. I'll do the little, oh yeah, there's that phantom fader move for you. <laughs> um, but then there's other times where you, you just kind of have to stick to your guns and say, um, this is a really bad idea and this is going to upset a lot of these artists and their people involved if we try to do that. And having a really good crew chief on your side is a huge thing. Um, having a really good uh, production staff from the vendor that's going to back you up on that is a good thing too. Um, yeah. And it's all about those relationships because I, I, I'm the first to admit I'm an asshole. Sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastic asshole. Um, and I used to be a really angry, sarcastic asshole. I was that grumpy snug guy for a long time. And I kind of learned over the years that uh, you get a lot more with honey than you do with vinegar. So if you, building these relationships and these one-on-ones, you know, if you get five minutes and your PM comes by and you just talk to him, doesn't have to be about the job. You just connect on something. If they have that type of connection with you, they're going to go to bat for you. Mm. I think the other part of that too, that I found helpful, I, I was talking about this with the mentee the other day is like the person who you need to back you up or sign off on the decision or whatever, they are often not understanding the technical details of what, why you're asking for it. So I go, you can't, you can't explain to someone who works in a college admissions office who has to make a call. If you talk to them about comb filtering, you already, you've lost the battle because they already don't understand what the fuck you're talking about. So you need to figure out how to advocate for shit in a way that actually makes sense to the person you're advocating to. So they feel like they're making an informed decision and not just somebody talking at them about things they don't understand. And that, and um, however that may be, it's obviously different depending on who you're talking to, but that, that, was something that I think a lot of people, you know, as an engineer, we immediately go, well, that's a huge technical problem. Like you said, you know, changing a trim height, you know, someone who is non-technical may not understand if that's a problem, why it's a problem, you know? And, and so you can't, you can't talk about it in terms of the, you know, the technical performance of the system or something like that. Cause oftentimes the person you're advocating to, that's not a convincing argument to them just because they don't, they don't care about that or they don't understand it. So learning how to advocate for things in a way that um, 
I think is makes it more of a dialogue where this person feels like they understand the gravity of the decision they're making. That's, that's something that can be tricky for us because we're nerds, you know? Well, and I think for me in terms of that building that relationship aspect, right? Like after almost every show on a certain tour I do, I, I do like a nightly, almost like download with our PM where I stick my head in, right? Towels are always right outside the production office. My way to shower, I go grab my towel. I stick my head and I go, Hey, how was your day? You know, how, how did today go? And, and we swap, he goes, you know, how, how's our front of house engineer? How'd everything go on your end? And we just talk for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And he'll tell me if I'm going to walk in the next day and have a headache, he'll go, okay, yeah, this next venue slow or, you know, just say, Hey, and he, I don't think I've ever had an issue with him ever really questioning me and we had a couple things and he went to bat for me and he's he's really cool and but doing it daily and a little bit at a time made it feel really natural to me which is something i found to like i really came to enjoy and that's such a good point that i feel like people don't talk about enough and so i really like that you brought that up i um we had uh mickey mulcahy it was our he was our pm Mm -hmm. on the on the last ghost tour like i would i looked forward to the part of my day when he would stick his head out and I could just chat him up and we would talk about nothing. Like we, he fucking loves IHOP and we would yeah. talk about fucking pancake, you know, like really, like we would really talk Mickey about pancake. Loves IHOP. You know? And, and so it, you know, if, if we talk t- nine times out of 10, we're just ch- chatting. And one time out of 10, I've got an issue that I want to either make him aware of or weigh in on or make a decision on or, or something like, I, I think not crying wolf is, is really important. Like mm-hmm. a lot of it is, and especially, I mean, if you think about the position that Bobby's in at Liquid Coachella or something like that, you can't run everything up the fucking flagpole because you won't get anything done. Other people, there's yeah. so much shit on it. You got to just do your gig and you got to make a call and you got to make the best call you can. And so handle your shit. And then, you know, there's the one thing out of 80 or whatever, the one thing that I'm like, okay, I want to just bounce this off Mick or whoever, whoever is in that role, knowing that you know setting up a relationship where they know i'm not coming to them in every little fucking thing and i'm doing my shit and if there's a reason i'm coming to them it's because i feel that it affects them or it's important that it should be on their radar building that relationship as well which is like hey i've already done the filtering on this so the, um, the only reason i'm in here bothering you about this particular issue is because i think it's, it's it's something you need to know about and then that often will make them focus on what you're saying yeah i mean Front of house is a, I like to call it the lonely island. You are out there. You start a band. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. You're out there. And if something goes wrong and you need to get somewhere, it doesn't matter how fast you're running. You're still going to be there slower than the, your crew on stage is going to get there. And, you know, for me, it's like I'm out there. Okay, Coachella. 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. I don't ever see the stage manager. I don't really ever see a production manager unless they swing by. So having those conversations, even if it's just shooting the shit and saying, how's your day going? Oh, this stage is being a pain in my ass. Sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, but that's, that's the interactions you need because otherwise they're going to be like, wait, who, who's cat, who's got an issue? Why am I, why do I care? Oh, yeah, that's a good point, man. And that's something I, I've said in the past, Having having someone who's most of their work days at front of house, having that person be crew chief doesn't strike me as the most intuitive choice because that person is pretty fucking isolated compared to 
somebody who's side stage. Um, and so there's shit that happens that I don't even hear about because I was at front of house, you know? And so I was thinking about uh, when we do Outside Lands Festival uh, with National Acoustics, we're monitoring the sound level on all the stages. And those stage managers, they don't want to fucking talk to me when I show up at 8 a.m. and I go, hey, I got to set up your, you know, your laptop for you. Let me show you. They don't fucking care. They got so much shit, to, you know, they have so much important, urgent shit to deal with. They don't care about sound level monitoring. That's just not. So, so I, you have to also, I learned. No. Stop by, say hello. Here's my card. You know what I mean? I will come back at a time that we, you're not in the fucking chaos because it's, here's the thing. It's important to the festival. It's important to festival management. They're like, this has to happen. It's part of doing this show. So I can't be like, all right, don't worry about it. I need to advocate for it, but I need to choose when I advocate for it. And if they're dealing with a fucking problem, they don't want to talk to me about it. And so it's just like, I'm just letting you see my face, let you know I'm here, giving you my information. I'm on this channel on the radio. I'm going to come back later on when your hair is not on fire and then we'll actually be productive, you know? Well, what I like to say is I try to stay pretty far down everybody's priority list, right? Like I'm here if you need me. I want you to feel like I can fix it. You know, if we need to, we can talk about it if it comes up. But I don't want to live like level one, level two on your priority list. I don't need to be that person you're worried about, right? Like I'm I'm here to do a job and, you know, we're all here to support each other. But I don't I don't want you to wake up in the morning and go, oh, man, at 9 a.m., I'm going to get this call on the radio and somebody's going to go, oh, I need this thing. And I know who it's going to be. and I know what it's going to be. <laughs> I do right? that. Like, I'm, a, I'm a pain in the ass. We're giving my soul map every morning. Oh, my soul. Give me my soul map, and then I, I won't bother that. you again. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is true. Our, I walk in the door, and our PM goes, "I'm getting it. I'm getting it." I'm like, "Thanks, buddy." <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to find all That's day it. bacon. You guys are looking for soul map. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm like, "Where's the gaff tape with the arrows on it? What's going on here?" <laughs> Bobby, do you, a you, chafing dish. you have a lot of shit, man. Do you, do you have a particular role that you've come to enjoy the most? Cause you do so much different stuff, man. Um, I mean, I love being an SE. It's, it's fun. I love the mental aspect of designing PAs and deploying them. Um, I don't like being an SE and a crew chief at the same time. It's, mm-hmm. it's really tough because you get stuck with so many other things. It's like, and then during a show, it's like stuff's happening on stage. Well, I can't really do anything about that. Right. So right. I got to have a monitor tech or PA tech who's there to really be solid and jump in where it's needed and handle something because I can yell on a radio, but if it's 104 dB and you know, <laughs> screaming at 115, <laughs> you're not going to hear me. No. You're going to be like, What? That's a, I mean, that's, that's the isolation that I was kind of referring to, which is like, you know, it, 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 I get why it's organized that way traditionally, but practically speaking, there are a lot of drawbacks with having that person who has to make a call or respond quickly be a hundred feet away and, and, you know, not easily reachable. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just, obviously there's complications there. Um, so but does that, I, does it lead into, oh, go ahead, sorry, Kyle, Kyle, go ahead. No, I was just sticking with the thing there, there's a spattering of front of house and monitor engineer positions on your, on your resume too. And I think, I think I've met you before because I noticed the hammer fall thing. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, is that how you got into SEN? Were you mixing bands first or do you still mix bands or how, how did it all begin? 
I mean, it all really began a long time ago. I, my, um, like when I was growing up, my parents owned a summer resort in northern or mid Wisconsin. How do we skip and this they, fucking story? How did how did we we're, half, we're halfway fucking to, his well, parents owned a fucking my, resort? Coachella and you know, yeah, man. Up, but um, so no, I grew up around music, and um, they had a summer resort. It, Kind of like dirty dancing, but not quite as uh, controversial. But this is they had uh, already. They had you know performers who performed uh, three sh- different shows on rotation, basically five or six nights a week, if I remember right. Um, perf- like Broadway Review, Country Review, Surf Rock, all that stuff. So fucking cool. Holy cow. Yeah, we miss so, this whole bit. So your yeah. parents were like the, the directors of the, uh, they owned like this resort thing then? Yes. Yeah, so my parents owned it. My mom was a performer um, early in her career and kind of became the director, choreographer. Um, my dad really did a lot of the sound mixing up until I was you know, old enough and tall enough to reach the faders. Jumped into that. <laughs> what a cool fucking story, man! That is awesome. Yeah. So and was then, it yeah. like a, a lake resort? Because I know uh, yeah. I, I go up yeah. to. I forgot what the lake's name is. It's outside of Madison, but like people in Wisconsin go the fuck off. I don't know about like I don't care about you, New York and L.A. and fucking Vegas bullshit. People in Wisconsin fucking go off, and they love live music. So this is super interesting to me. Like when the lake opens. It's like everyone is there like seven days a week. Summertime in Wisconsin is like ridiculous. Every time I've been there, it's been off the chain. Like uh, you started mixing as soon as you can reach then. Like dad was like, you're on kids go. Yeah. I mean, he showed me how everything worked and I kind of just figured it out and made it work. It was on an old, you know, like Mackie 32 channel. (laughs) I don't even remember what the model was, but enough said. Got into it. Did you start working for production companies in Wisconsin and stuff before you uh, made the journey? No. um, They sold the resort like when I was 14 or 15. That kind of business model was starting to struggle. I know they, my dad was getting up there in age and just kind of wanted to retire. So we did that, moved to Florida. Um, I kept into like live music and stuff with high school and went to four-year college for a theater program where they let me kind of design my own major, focusing in sound design and mixing. Then kind of just jumped around. Of course, you know, graduating right into the recession was a great time. (laughs) Yeah, that happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's like the hipster version of graduating into COVID. Like you did that before. Yeah. Hey, I did that. Be nice. It's like, cool. I've got this degree. I I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. And um, arts and entertainment are the first thing to get cut. Okay. Um, I'm going to go sell pro audio for Sam Ash until this shit comes back. (laughs) We tried to figure it out. Everyone's still trying to figure it out, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm curious. <clears throat> so scrolling back through your Facebook, uh, it looks like you did a Genesis tour. Um, 
recently or last year, I guess. Um, I'm very curious about the speaker design on that tour. <laughs> That's a Ben Phillips special, and he is a mad scientist. <laughs> it's it, it awesome because, you know, how many shows or tours can you get to say where, like, there's so much PA, but it's not painful. It is just distributed, low variance, and sounds amazing everywhere. So for those who aren't looking at a picture like I am right now, can you describe <laughs> what the system looks like? And I, we can maybe post on our socials like what it is, but I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting because I literally have never seen an arena uh, done like this. Um, so the mains... Uh, I was one of the delay techs, so I didn't really ever hang the mains. But if I remember right, the mains were typically 12K1 or 2 or 4K2, depending on the arena. The outs were, I believe, 8 to 10K1 over K2. And then the 270s were like 16K2s. Um, And then we had delays. We had a delay hang, basically kind of center arena that would be typically 8K1. And then delay hangs kind of directly behind the front of house, right at the edge of the bowl. That would be typically 8K1 over 3 Kara 2. I mean, huge PA for delays when you're thinking about proximity, but... That was a show that averaged, I think, around 98, 99 DBA for the entire show. And it's not about, um, well, I mean, it's it's all about just control and having mm. really precise control over a thing, you know. The other nice really thing, cool. the, the other benefit that's not maybe immediately obvious, like obviously, number one, your system is more consistent, but your direct-to-reverberant ratio is so much improved when you're listening to something that's 90 feet from you instead of 250 feet from you in a big room. Yeah. And, and so that whole, you know, the whole sound of the room, the arena intruding on your consciousness thing is, is like, is cleaned up a lot. And, uh, that, that can be not subtle. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and like those delays were necessitated just because there's so much automation and so much video and lighting of the stage there just wasn't the way to hang like you know a 24 box hang of mains you you could try but the the structure would come down so gotcha yeah and you know, you guys because of the distance too you flew amprax as well right behind the behind the correct. arrays correct uh every every hang had amprax flown directly behind it's fun that's uh it, it's Which, always imp- it's always impressive to me when an arena tour has dedicated delay fly PA techs. I mean, that's when you know, you know, like like I saw, like even when I saw like um, like the Tyler the Creator tour and he had the whole like B stages a full on rig out by the B stage. I mean, it's like it's just insane the amount of extra crew. And if you're gonna be in and out in the same day, just like any other show, gotta have more people. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that was a huge tour. That was. I think over 15 trucks and um, wow. all of our signal would go on the audience lighting trusses. So you had to have delay dedicated delay text because otherwise everybody else is behind. Cause we're always waiting for lighting. I know. 
Wait, uh-huh. okay, I got a question for you, man. Uh, <laughs> s- s- a lot of people say, like, you know, don't you get sick of hearing the same music over and over again? But you did a comedy tour, and hearing the it- same jokes over and over again has got to be a different. That's a different ball game. Then, do you just tune the jokes out? Are you still? Are they still funny? <laughs> you know, I thought I would tune the jokes out after like the third or fourth show, but the uh, the the crazy thing is. It's less about the joke because you know the joke's coming. It's the reaction of the audience because every audience would react differently to different jokes. So you'd always be like, huh. Didn't think they'd uh, take to that one so well. Or uh, that's interesting. Or that one was like, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, one joke could be like a huge roar of laughter at one show. And then the next one, it's kind of like, okay, it's some chuckles, but just doesn't fall quite as well. I'm really always. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. No, uh, Adam Sandler had his own band with that stuff too, didn't he? So he'd come out and play music during a, a segment of it. Um, that one, he had um, his piano player with him, who had piano and drum machine and other stuff, and he, I think he did would do like five or six songs a show. Does it do the Hanukkah song? Duh. I don't know. If, I don't remember if he did it for that one or not. I was just curious if it's out of uh, season. What he yeah, still do I, I don't think he would like, do yeah. it in, in like that, March. That feels specific, Chris. Yeah, very specific. <laughs> it's Adam Sandler. That's his <laughs> biggest song. Yeah, that's his biggest. That's his <laughs> am I biggest not wrong? Shit. Like, am I? I you can't right, get up there and do Billy Madison. That's what we all have for. I, anyway, well, I don't know. I've never he, seen an Adam Sandler show. Did he do any of his old school bits like mop 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 all day long? Like any of that like old school stuff? <laughs> he would make reference to some of the older stuff. Um, it just depended. All right, for the record, all right. So Sam, there there was these there was these Adam Sandler albums that came out before you were alive that some of us listened oh, to, God. and <laughs> clearly you did. Kyle, you're, I'm not wrong here, right? Jeez. No, you're not wrong. I mean, he still talks in that voice. I remember that one. Yeah, the severe severe beating of a lunch leader. Severe beating of a a Spanish teacher or a janitor. Yeah, yeah. That that was the mop, mop, mop all day long. And then he beats up the janitor in the closet. That's what that was the bit. I mean, (laughs) it aged well. It aged very well. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Oh, I need to con. I, I'm going to go back on okay. mute. The group chat will now send me 17 links to this because I'm feeling confused. But, anyways. Bobby, <laughs> um, you've obviously worked for a ton of artists. Have you worked for any artists that you were a fan of? Yes. Um, Gen- Genesis. I'm a fan of Genesis. Um, Adam Sandler is just a fan of his work. You know, yeah, man. His, his own stand-up, SNL. It's just like, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. That is so cool to hear. Which Thank is God. huge. I've heard that. I've heard that across the board about him i have never met anyone who's worked with him that doesn't have lovely things to say i hear he's a very cool awesome guy. Mm-hmm. he has he has you know high expectations for his show which rightfully so but he is a very nice person and um could not believe just the level of fun that he would have during these shows uh let's see other artists that i'm a fan of nora jones oh she's great oh. She, uh, she, and she is the sweetest woman I have ever met. <laughs> um, I had literally flown in to start load in from, 
I just wrapped up Governor's Ball in New York City. That was like a. That was like a. You were almost a panic hire on that one, dude. Like so, it's like, yeah. they're like, who yeah. do you know? And I was like, send but, Bobby, you'll be great. Yeah, I, I literally like I flew out at like six a.m. after loading out Governor's Ball to Seattle, and then went straight into load in at the the vineyard that the first uh, two shows were at. And by the time you know it's dinner time. I'm still on East Coast time. I'm brain dead. My I'm shot just sitting there kind of eating food and trying to stay awake and be like, I really hope we kind of get to the point where we can call it a day and I can get some sleep. Um, and Nora actually walked in and came over to me and she's like, just said, hi, I don't know you. I'm Nora. I, I mean, wow. It was just like, I, I, I've oh. never oh, had wow. that happen with any artist in my entire career. And that, yeah. The artist come over and say, I don't know you. I'm Nora. Nice to meet you. It is it just speaks to the mentality of that, the crew out there and the everybody there is a family. That's awesome. She's a monster musician too, man. She's such a great yeah. talent. She's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know who I want to do? I was just thinking about that. I would I would do Diana Crawl. Like I would take that gig at, for minimum wage because she's fucking cool as shit. I would love to do a Diana Crawl show. That made me think of it. That's cool. Yeah. There was. That's cool. I've had one artist like stop me and be like, I don't know you introduce themselves. And that, that was cool. That was a really interesting interaction. Um, I think Tobias did it. Um, but that's so interesting to hear. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've worked with such a wide variety of personalities in terms of artists. Do you feel like that trickles down through the crew? Like, do you, do you feel like the artist kind of sets the tone for the tour? You know, it just depends on the tour. I think I don't think you can realistically expect that on a tour where you have a crew of 95 sure. plus truck drivers and all that. It's just too big of a machine. Um, with Nora, you know, it was a small tour. It was a crew of like eight or nine plus her band. Um, and it's, it's, it's important to her to everybody to be family-like and get along. And like, we went out to a family dinner one night after the first couple shows. And it's just like, we all have fun and just chat. It doesn't matter. It's not about the show. It's just about getting to know everybody and hang out. Like I discovered that at one point I lived in a part of upstate New York. That's near where she lives right now. So it was like, Oh, small world. That's really cool. Are, are you Michael's neighbor? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I live in Las Vegas now, so I, I traded, you know, <laughs> everything for hot summers. You traded the very cold for the very hot. Yeah. Oh, I saw your snowfall post. Like, I'm really glad. I'm then it snowed here. That's I. I actually, but it snowed. Yesterday was one of those days where. Uh, I was like, I hope the plow guy comes at a reasonable time. Otherwise, I can't get out. You know, there was there was one of those you where you get you know seventeen inches within within a twenty four hour period. And it's just like I'm not fucking shoveling all that, so I'm just gonna wait. Didn't, I'm gonna wait to be didn't rescued. San Diego say that like a couple weeks ago too. They were like, oh yeah, I hope the snowplow comes to San Diego. <laughs> Did you guys see that? Yeah, I think Am I the only? I didn't. I don't. I, I, I saw that. that. 
And then I was like thinking about it because I think there's like three snow plows in Las Vegas and they're pretty much to the airport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When when I lived Man. in Vegas, it, it snowed once and it didn't it didn't stick or anything, but right at the base of the mountain it snowed. It was kind of cool. I, I don't think people realize how cold it gets in the high desert. Um Oh yeah, no, especially <laughs> tourists. And I loved laughing at them because we'd have outdoor shows all the time throughout the winter. And there, here I'm going to do the Wisconsin reference. There's going to be some dude in some jean shorts uh, in the middle of January, and it's it's it says 40 degrees, but it feels like it's about 20. And the wind mm-hmm. ain't yeah. no joke. Do do you do was, a lot of uh, shows outdoor in Vegas? You know, it kind of just depends on the year. Um, and what I have going on otherwise, because there are, you know, I do get asked to do shows. Um, unfortunately I can't always commit to them because I have other commitments. So it really is just dependent on, uh, what else I've had on the books, but I like doing a, a few shows in Vegas, but it's nice to get away. Man, I was, I was teaching a smart class last week and we were talking about atmospheric changes to you know responding to those in the system and one of the things i said was like you know it's people go to a mix in a in a you know 85 cap church and they're like worried about it's like retiming their delays i go this is it it gets this becomes important to you when the show gets big when it gets either bigger it gets the more you have to worry about this and you know a, a eight degree temperature fluctuation isn't isn't going to screw your show up but i was thinking about the most severe ones that I've had to deal with. And I think Coachella was very close to the top of that list because you went from nineties. It was fucking cold at night. It was probably a 40 degree swing or a 50 degree swing. And you put hoodies on. It was, it was not subtle. It was very, yeah. very, very serious. I think that first weekend it was like 107 at its hottest that day. Oh, and I God. think by the time we were halfway through the set. It was down to about 52, 56. Yeah, fucking brutal. It was, it was a huge swing. That's why I had the conversation with you. It was like, okay, we huge swing from rehearsals and from even just the last night that we were doing stuff. So if you want more high and you want me to do more air comp, let me know. Or if you want to take care on your side, go for it. Team effort. I'm, I'm around. And violent wind too, like pretty intense yeah. wind. So it was, uh, I remember, I remember saying to Denny, like, don't, don't chase that. You can't, it's just not going to, you know what I mean? You just have to let it be, man. Just roll with it. It was, yeah. that was, there was some, and then I was like sunburnt and also cold at the same time. Just a weird fucking, <laughs> it was weird, man. How, how about the uh, Metallica S and M two show? I saw that, that popped out on me on your on your list. That had to have been a cool experience. That was yeah, it was definitely cool. Um, very <laughs> labor intensive rig. <laughs> so for, uh, for the record, that was in the round, yeah. Yeah, in the round. Who was mixing? Concentric. Big Mick was mixing. Mick was. Um, yeah, but it was in the round with three or four concentric circular video walls hung. So it was like, Oh, is that the tour with the diamonds, the diamond pods? No, no, no diamond pods. Like this was a one-off. It was a one-off, yeah. Giant circles of different widths. I think there's like four or five of them and they're different height trims, but they're not like centered. They're all off-centered and different sized. And we're fitting this PA in and around them. (laughs) 
and then you have an orchestra. Oh, oh yeah, that's, I know the show. I know the design you're talking about. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 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 Bob showed it in class. Yeah. yeah, and then you have an orchestra, and you have a stage that's rotating 180 degrees one way, and then 180 degrees the other. You'd think was, just just play Master of Puppets, and that would be cool. You know what I mean? You, you think, <laughs> hey man, just play Battery over and over and over, and you don't have to rotate the stage because we're that good. <laughs> 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 but maybe, maybe we can the cut that part if you just play battery three times. <laughs> <laughs> just being honest. How many rotations of the stage does it take to make the snare sound good? No, anyway. Um. Oh. <laughs> oh. Not touching that one. <laughs> oh, boy. Why you got to do that, Chris? Why you got to <laughs> fucking trigger people? Um, this is what I'm good for right now. Yeah, but that was a cool show to be a part of. Um, production side was really, really nice to us. Um, not being, you know, part of the regular Metallica crew or anything like that. They really treated us well. Actually sent us a gift of the uh, DVD recording. Oh, cool, man. So, Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm actually, uh, I got a credit in it. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Hey, that's great. Sick. Yeah. Sam, what I'm sure you've got some after looking at Bobby's resume and you've heard, you know, I've told you about some of the conversations that he and I have had. I'm sure you got some, some questions for him. Yeah. I've kind of heard of a number of these gigs now from all three sides between you and Denny and now Bobby. So this has been really fun for me to sit back and just kind of listen to everything. Um, And somewhere in there is the truth. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, you all are pretty much on the same page, surprisingly. So uh, no, really, my my biggest question, right, is I feel like we're noticing a trend of these artists bringing SEs, right, with them most of the time, right? Michael's job, my my job most of the time, especially coming, you know, we're quickly approaching festival season. Uh, so I'm sure you will unfortunately have to deal with more people like me, right, coming in where I say, hey, here's my one band. Uh, this is everything I need. I'm so sorry in advance, you know. Um, what have you found, right, working with, you know, SEs, especially in festival scenarios or in just in terms of, right, larger shows coming in where you have a band who's, you know, headlining, headlining, headlining. Oh, we're suddenly, you know, direct support for this one show. What can I do to make your life less painful, right? I mean, apart from, hey, here's your water and, you know, all the pleasantries, you know, I, I do try to avoid being a dick generally. Um, you mean the frozen lemonade didn't do it for you? That's a good trick, damn it. That shit's delicious. I know, right? <laughs> but... It was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I'm just sad I missed out on the most. Yeah. Well, that was when we were talking about how nobody had pants and you wanted to open a pants store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were just looking around and oh, seeing all these fucking he, people with no pants on. I'm like, this, people, these people need to borrow pants? What's going on? Yeah. He texted us a- that from the show <laughs> to our group he, text. He said that, and I, like, flashed back to the group chat. Um, I mean, it's just... Okay, I'm going to put this in a way. I'm not going to try to sound like a prick or anything, but <laughs> if you're dealing with a good SD... Yeah. They're going to expect an SE that's coming in with a band to have things that they want and sure. need for their show. As long as you're not a colossal asshole about it, we're going to do everything we can to make to accommodate. Sometimes there are things that are outside of our control. It's like there's things that are dictated by the 
production staff or the festival negotiation, you know, organizers where we just can't do it. Sure. Um, but the biggest thing, and this is like everything I tell people nowadays with careers, like, don't be a dick. That's all you get. That's all you gotta do. We all, we all have a job to do. That's the name for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we all have a job to do. My job is to deploy and present a PA that's acceptable for everybody to use, um, especially on festivals. That's the, that's the toughest one because I have th- the way I like a PA to sound, but that's not always the way that I need the PA to sound. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's also like, I like to say, I'm not, you know, when I go in and do a system, I'm not saying I think this is the greatest fucking EQ in the history of the world. Like, if you want something else, I'll just adjust it. Like, I, you know what I mean? My ego is not tied to this yeah. this selection of filters. So I think that's where some people yeah. get into trouble. It's like, what, you don't like the way I did it? I was like, no, it has nothing to do with whether I like what you did. It's just, I have a particular need for my particular show. And that's all I'm asking you for. I'm not, you know, I'm not making a judgment on what you did or, or whether or not that's appropriate for any of the other acts. I'm just, I'm just talking from the point of view of what I'm specifically trying to do for mine. So like, you know, on the receiving end of that, I don't fucking care. You want it brighter. I'll make it brighter. You want less sub. I'll turn them down. Like I don't, my ego is not involved in that adjustment, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Michael, what do you always say? My, my eagle doesn't, my eagle is, my ego isn't hurt by the filter or something like that. Like it's not tied to the number of filters used. Yeah, it's not like you I need to justify really my existence by putting on this amazing EQ or something like is. that. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, we want to just like Bobby said. I'm trying to. It's a, it's kind of a service gig, and whatever you want, that's there you go. Knock yourself out. Yeah. You know, as long as it doesn't try to damage the PA, because ultimately <laughs> my responsibility is to protect the PA. Yeah, and some people okay. get kind of pissy about that, and I'm like, I try to be really up for it, especially with sound restrictions and everything mm-hmm. else. That's a tricky or, spot to be in, man, because oftentimes we are the ones who have to say, Hey, uh, there's this problem or Hey, you, you know, we have to do this differently. And it's not like, I didn't fucking make this rule. You know what I mean? But I'm mm-hmm. sort of the face of it. Like I'm the middleman. Yeah. And it's like, this came from management, bro. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I don't personally, I'm not invested in how loud your mix is besides the obvious. I just think that, I need to communicate this fact to you right now, and then you can react to whatever so, you want. So that's so that's probably a good question. How many people do you think are really just going up there and trying to kill everybody? Sometimes, I mean, I, I think with the way PA, <laughs> no, I, I here, this goes back to other conversations that we had. I think people are mixing in a more reasonable fashion now, opposed to when I was doing this when I was a kid doing metal shows all the fucking time. Like there were literally people that were trying to out fucking loud whoever just mixed before them. And does that still, is that still a thing? Like as much as it used to be? I don't think it's as much as it used to be. I think it's, um, I think it's like more the younger engineers who are kind of getting their hands on a real powerful big PA for the first time. It's like, you know, they hop in a Ferrari and just smash a throttle and, not that they want to match the throttle, but it's just kind of like, oh, they get so excited. It just kind of takes off on them. Well, I think also, uh, like, you can do, if you if you mix in a club, the PA doesn't have unlimited gas. There's going to be a point where you go, that's all it has, you know, mm-hmm. and it's probably roughly around show level on a lot of these rigs. But like on a big scale like that, it'll probably keep going. 
past the point where it should, you know, it's safely. And actually we haven't said Ryan O'John in a long time, but Ryan O'John and I were talking about this today is that particularly with newer loudspeakers, they have so little distortion in them that you look down and you're like, holy shit, I'm at 103. And it doesn't feel loud necessarily because it's so linear and it's so clean. You're not getting that breakup. And that's why we've been doing so much education and, and teaching people about that. And also like on the, on the, you know, when Bobby and I are in the field, like making sure the meters are available so people can see data on what's going on with it. You know, that's, that's important too. Yeah. I mean, uh, these PAs nowadays are so powerful and there's so much power in going into them. Like you can literally hurt somebody with a speaker and it's not it falling on you. It is from the physical force it is exerting into the atmosphere. And I really try to be a big proponent of, I'm, I want people to have a good time, but I really focus in my designs to make sure like that front row, Mm -hmm they're in the bottom of the mains or if they're in front fills that they're getting a good show, but they're not getting a show that's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I, it's, it's a lot easier now because a lot of engineers are like, yeah, I mean, I might peak around one Oh four, but I like to keep my mix around like 98, 99. Awesome. That's, that's how I mix Duke Dumont. My, my mix is typically it's very dynamic. Um, but my averaging is, Typically, like one hundred one dBA for ninety minute set for and for you know electronic music, I think that's pretty pretty reasonable. Is it? How does your system design brain and experience play into your approach to mixing? Is there a little cross pollination there? You cross the um, streams. <laughs> yeah, I cross the streams. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky. Like I, I do the Duke Dumont live shows now. Um, which there aren't a whole lot of them, but I just got back from Columbia. But I've got a production manager with that crew um, who values my knowledge and input and pushes for me to be able to get access to the designs ahead of time and review them. So from a SE standpoint, I go in and review the file and I might make some changes and send it back and say, Hey, I, I made some changes. Um, let me know what you think if, if you're cool with that, but this is what I would like to see for the artist. Um, and they've been super, everybody's been super recipient about it. I'm mm-hmm. like really cool about it. Um, and then, uh, in terms of my mixing approach, it's just, I think, yeah, my SE knowledge and influence comes into it a lot because I'm like, I don't want to pound people with electronic music for, you know, who've been there for four hours getting other artists going <laughs> at them. Yeah. And just destroy, you know, their ears. It's it's not fun to just get pounded for 90 minutes, at least not for me. And this, this show is really dynamic and really tells a story and it kind of, it's got so much cool elements to it. I really like the fact that I can use sound to, really help deliver the story and build these moments and have these great crescendos and falls where it's like huge, you know, huge event. And then it just drops down to a nice quiet level and gives everybody's ear a break. And then it sounds dynamic because no one's got ear fatigue. Yeah. There you go. You're not, you're not working against yourself. Sam, do your your question, Sam. All right, Bobby. So what do you wish you knew when you first started? 
the hole you get more flies with honey than vinegar. I was a whip ass, thought I knew it all. Um, burned uh, quite a few bridges in, in my early 20s. And uh, I still learn. I still have my ass, myself my ass sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the other thing, too, is like, don't take things personal, like too personal. There are going to be tours and shows that you're just not a good fit, like personality wise. And it's not you it's not them it's just oil and vinegar or water oil and water whatever the hell the analogy is no not anymore but uh salt and um, vinegar the the chips is what yeah well those are delicious so i'm not gonna say that correct yeah yeah especially the kettle cooked ones but um no like i've had it where you know i've done shows where i've done the first leg and been told that hey we're gonna go somebody else's second leg and Nowadays, I'm like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, there's nobody on that crew that I didn't like, but I just wasn't the right fit. You've you've and made that, that decision for happen. yourself too. You and I were talking about that the other day. You've also said, I don't, I'm not a good fit for the dynamic that's going on around here, and I'm gonna go do something else. And that's, I, I think, that's important to be honest with yourself too. You know, yeah. I think that's a great attitude to have because mm-hmm. I, I there's definitely been some things that I've been super fucking hard on myself because I wasn't the right fit and I wanted to be. And I think, I think the younger kids need to hear that. Hey man, you're going to lose a ton of jobs and it might have nothing to do with you. You just don't have the right paint for the picture they want. Can't help that. Yep. I mean, there's a monitor engineer who um, I've worked with before and, I like him as a person. Um, I think he's talented, but we just do not see, we don't mesh well. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a butting of heads. It's just personality wise. And it's cool. Yeah, I, I yeah. had that conversation where I've, I've done a tour gig or whatever, and there was nothing wrong, right? Like there was like, it was, everything was fine, but just, you can tell it wasn't maybe as natural of a fit. And I said, okay, that's great. I'm glad I did it. Maybe I don't do it again. Like, <laughs> don't put it on the resume. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's always going to be great gigs. There's always going to be crap gigs. It's yep. just learning to take the good with the bad, and not let it. Don't let it eat at you. No, because the worst thing you can do is let it eat at you. Because you either go into like overly deep self analysis for something that really has nothing to do with you nope. per se. Acceptance Ob- is the easiest way. Obtrusive <laughs> thoughts. Right. Obtrusive thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you get. You yeah. sit there and you're like beating yourself up with your own obtrusive thoughts. Stop it. Quit it. Yeah. So I, I lived in Vegas for eight years. My daughter was born there. So I told her when we moved back to Missouri, I was like, tell all the kids that you were born in Vegas and they'll think you're cool. <laughs> that didn't work out so well. So we're going to come. I, I want to know what your spots in Vegas are being a local. To Ooh, eat. Man, stealing steal the well, question. I like it. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's Taco Tuesday right now. Oh, it is. Gordo. <laughs> it is. I mean, Tacos El Gordo is good. Um, tacos and beer is always a really good suggestion. But if I got a friend who's in town, it's like, I want just a crap ton of delicious street style tacos. Yeah, man. I'm sending them a taco taco on Eastern. Hey, 
that is like a, a not a huge spot either. And I've been there and their shit was delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. It's like $2 a taco. So <laughs> Cheap. Oh, that's deadly. <laughs> that's real dangerous right there, man. Michael, Michael is crawling away or yeah. a stretcher yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, every time I go there, it's like, okay, we're going to taco eat taco. So I'm going to like do a protein shake for breakfast. I might do, like, <laughs> a little snack, like some veggies. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm de- going to converge myself on taco. taco. <laughs> I'm going to detox tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What's your favorite buffet? Do you have a f- favorite buffet there? Or an all you can eat? Um, Golden Corral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just uh, I'm I a just fat went to kid with some friends, so that was really good. Um, I the problem is, is I don't know what buffets are still around after the pandemic. Oh, yeah, that's a lot right. of them, a lot of them, you know, were closed down, and then some of them reopened, kind of like with this table service idea where you write down what you want, they bring it to you, and then some just haven't come back, and some are like. Well, is it coming back or not? I don't know. Um, but if if you like crab and seafood and a lot of options, lobster. the yeah, lobster, um, the Bacchanal buffet at Caesars is really good. <clears throat> I've heard Rio's is pretty good, but I don't know if that's open right now. It was good back in the day. Mm-hmm. I think my favorite all you can eat, not like a casino buffet, is Goimon Sushi on uh Damn, it's right up the road from Hacienda and shit. <laughs> I forgot. It's on Hacienda. I know, I know yeah. Yeah. That's my jam, uh, dude. I actually crave a few things in Vegas, and that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I go to uh, Yama a bunch. Yama's delicious, too. Damn. Yeah. I live in Missouri. Closest thing I can get is like catfish, possibly, mm. or bluegill. <laughs> lake, lake trout. Yeah. Bass. <laughs> Chris, what you, hit him up, Chris. <laughs> All right, Bobby, if you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Just um, one of those guys that you you want to work with. You know, you hear he's going to be on it. You feel good, and you want you're you're excited because you like working with that guy. Um, I realized way long ago, I'm never as a mixer going to be a pooch or a rabel. Um, I can try to aspire to be a, as good of an SD as some of the other people I know, like Denny and Michael, but they know things oh, that I never fully <laughs> understand. <laughs> it's true, dude. There, uh, there's just some things that, like, my brain has so much crap in it right now. I, I, no, I it's only fit You're stuff full of tacos, dude. Yeah, well, that, that too. <laughs> well, I'm going to be full of tacos. I'm three hours behind most of you. Yeah, true. <laughs> But I, I just want to be remembered as and known as like the guy that like, you know, going into that situation, you're going to be in good hands if it's a festival, if it's a tour, hmm. um, and it's just somebody that you want to work with. Man, you know what, though, that's and that's 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 what I hear about you, too. You know, I mean, I was actually uh, I was talking to, to Johan, who mixes uh, Gojira. You're going out with Gojira soon this summer. I, mm-hmm. And uh he subbed for us on a couple of ghost shows and we had a good time and, and we've kept in touch and, you know, we were talking about that tour and I said, Oh, you know, Bobby's going to be out there with you. I guess he's going to take good care of you, man. And he's like, Oh good. I'm so glad to hear that. So, I mean, that's, that really is, you're selling peace of mind, you know, and it's like, you're not, you're not selling 
low variance as much as you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all that comes with it, but really it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to be a team player and make sure you're comfortable. And it's like everything else will sort itself out, you know? Yeah. I mean, end of the day, reputation is all we have. Mm -hmm. Yep. Accolades don't, they're nice, but, um, like if I ever won a Parnelli award, I don't think, you know, I could just be like, Hey, I'm a Parnelli award winner. Hire me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not to discredit Parnelli awards. Those guys deserve Dude, two, everything. Sam and Kyle both have Grammy noms. So oh, yeah, there you go. So, but it's like, I just, I want to be that one. That's like, if you don't know me, you can call somebody and yeah. they're going to say you're, you're, you're in good shape. Mm-hmm. Not like, Ooh, watch out for him. You, or just like, uh, I don't know if he's up to it. Or... Is that your only option? Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Bobby, thank you, man. It's uh, really good to catch up and uh, good to see you, man. And uh, I'm, We, we I'm appreciate you coming on. Yeah, you're, we do. <laughs> your resume already speaks for itself that people trust you. Like you don't get handed yeah. Genesis or Metallica or Nora Jones or any of that stuff for being a bad dude or a bad SE. So you're doing great. It's amazing. I Thank you guys. And I'm so excited to meet you because I've heard just nothing about phenomenal things from uh, phenomenal things about you from people you've worked with. Right. Cause I've just, for some reason followed Denny and Michael around. And every time they mention you, I'm just like, dude, this guy seems so cool. I've got to meet him. It's cause we smell nice. Glad to have you. It's 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 because of the beard. (laughs) That's true. I can never pull that shit off, man. I can never. It gets so just intolerably itchy. I I always bail out of it. So I definitely have a ton of respect for the beard, and maybe I am a little envious. (laughs) Hit the button, Chris. Gotta push it, buddy. (laughs) 